Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to jump in there in just a moment. Can I jump off script for just a minute? Doesn't matter what you say, actually. Um, <laughs> can't do that at home, so I'll do it here, right? So this is... Uh, hey, there's... Like a minute ago, and this, this is really unique. Like when we were singing that last song and we were praying, when Pastor Keith was leading us in prayer at the end, I just sensed, and, and I don't know if you're sitting in this room or your auditorium too, or you're watching us on a screen somewhere, like this passage in Isaiah 61 verse 3, it's talking about the, God's spirit and what God's spirit will do. It says that God's spirit will provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise. And this was the line that hit me, instead of a spirit of despair. I think the, the, old, uh, the old King James uses the word heaviness there, instead of despair. And they'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planning for the Lord for the display of his splendor. That, that idea that God will, will trade out a new garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair or heaviness. And just when we were... Um, praying there at the end. I just, I just sense like there were a lot of us in this room who walked in here with heaviness today. We walked in here with some despair for whatever reason. And uh, it might not be all of you, but I think it's some of you. And before we ever even get to God's word, what I found sometimes is the thing that's in the front of my mind can block my mind from what God wants to bring into my mind. Sometimes if I've got despair or heaviness, I need, to, I need to start by saying, all right, God, I entrust this to you before there's anything else. So can I, can I just, will you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? And uh, can I just ask this? If, if you would say, I need to be here today, like, like I've come in with this spirit of heaviness, can you just raise your hand just to the Lord and say, God, I'm, I'm open to what you want to do here today? You can raise your hand, put it right back down, but just to say, God, I'm open to you today. Father, Thanks for your word that instructs us. Thanks for your word that teaches us. Thanks for your word that encourages us. Thanks for your word that sometimes challenges and even convicts us. Holy Spirit, we know that your presence is right here in this moment. And that there are those of us who are sitting in this room or we're sitting in auditorium too or we're watching this on a screen and, and right now, Holy Spirit, you're, you're moving something inside of us. It's a reminder that you know who we are, and you know what we carry, and you know that, that burden, that heaviness, that despair. So Lord, today we entrust it to you, because you're really the only one that can be trusted with it. And so Father, would you speak encouragement and life to us today? Would you allow your word to, to challenge us, but even more, God, just being in your presence and in the presence of your people, would you help praise to take the place of despair? God, would you lift the mourning that is in some people's lives and bring joy in today? Lord, may we be different because we were in your house, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, whether in a print or digital form, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. After that prayer, I have a message for you today titled, How to Be Miserable. Are you encouraged? <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We kind of work on our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. Didn't Pastor Jay do a great job last week of uh, presenting God's word to us? So thankful for him. Um, we are working our way through Ecclesiastes. We're not doing this like we did the book of Acts. Like the book of Acts, we kind of just went through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're going to hit some major themes. And uh, what, what, things we're going to talk about today, you'll <clears throat> excuse me, see multiple places in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're just going to hone in on three verses today, three consecutive verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Um, we're going to look at these today. And the subject is how to be Miserable. A couple of weeks ago, Rhonda and I were um, both, both had different commitments in the evening. We we're going two different directions. And we said, well, let's just grab dinner first. Let's, let's just grab dinner quick before we do this. And so we ran into a place, just get something quick. I ordered something I'd never had before. 
It was good, tasted really good. But later in the night, like I just had this like really weird feeling in my stomach. I didn't feel like I was sick. It was just like this low-level discomfort that just wouldn't go away. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you are bitter. Yeah, I mean, there's just this, like you have that. And finally, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to bed because it just, I just did not feel right. And you're like hoping, I hope I wake up in the next morning. And, and I was. I woke up next morning. I was fine. It was better. But it was just that discomfort that just kind of leaves you in that place that you just feel miserable. Do you know what I'm talking about? There are certain choices that we make, attitudes that we embrace, things that we do in life that if we're not careful, will cause that same kind of low-level discomfort in our, in our guts, right, in our spiritual lives, in our personal existence. And the challenge is, though, you can't just go to bed and have them go away. The reality is those things will grow, and that discomfort that makes you miserable can actually, as we'll see here today, lead to destructive patterns in your life. So we're going to look at three things today out of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Let's jump in here, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verse four, it's interesting when you read what's called wisdom literature in scripture, like the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, like we want everything to just kind of flow and make sense. But oftentimes, they'll rapid fire thoughts that really aren't connected, but they are. They seem to be separate. This is why sometimes these passages are confusing for us. They seem to be separate, but they're actually really connected. We're gonna look at these three verses today that seem to be three different shots, but I think they connect this way. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse four, the teacher what he calls himself in Ecclesiastes. We believe it's King Solomon, but he says, and I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. In this passage of scripture today, I want to look at three things that can make you miserable. Three things that can make you miserable. Here's the first one that we see in verse four. It's this. Number one is envy. So we look at this today. Number one is envy. Let's go back to this passage and look at what he says. He says, and I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, envy is an interesting word, and we talk about it, and we look at it, and we see different things in what the Bible says about it, but if we had to give kind of a definition to this idea of envy, because, because envy is an interesting word, because it, it's like jealousy in our language, right? That You can use the same word, say someone is jealous, and it can be envy, which is bad, or it can mean that they have zeal, that they have energy towards something. So you have to understand, when envy is used here, it's used in this negative term, and it means I give in to envy when I want something you have instead of being content with what God has given to me. Envy is when it drives me that I want something you have instead of being content with what God has given to me. Now, is it okay to be driven in life? Absolutely, I hope you are. I hope there are things that drive you, that, that, that cause you to work hard, that, that drive you to be challenged and to be better, that you have dreams that you want to pursue. It's perfectly fine to be driven. It's perfectly fine, too, to see someone else's life and be motivated by their success or effectiveness, right? Like, I have mentors in my life. I have teach people that I learn from that, that, that teach me things in my life. And I look at those people and I go, there are parts of my life that I want to be like theirs. I want to learn from them. But if I'm driven in some way to want what they have instead of what God has for me, that's when envy comes in and it becomes destructive in our lives. A couple things that scripture says to us about envy. In this passage, it tells us that when we envy, it's like chasing after the wind that is meaningless. Envy is a meaningless motivator. When you're motivated because you're envious of someone and, and something else that they have, then in the end, that's just, it's, it's meaningless. We've looked at this word a lot as we've gone through the book of Ecclesiastes. Proverbs chapter 27, verse four, says, anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Like jealousy is, envy is this, this energy, that this emotion that can drive us in such an unhealthy way. Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verse six. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. He's speaking there of those who have passed away, and it's interesting that he mentions their jealousy 
that when they're driven to have things because they want it because someone else has it, he's saying in the end, it's just meaningless. Now this is interesting in our society. There's a, there's a term that floats around now, FOMO. Has anybody heard that phrase, FOMO, that word FOMO? It means fear of missing out. Have you heard that? Or just me? You've heard it? Right, it's something that, that, that is interesting to describe, and it's interesting there's a little term for it, because it's a very real thing where people are driven to want something, do something, experience something, largely because they see other people doing it, and they have a fear that they're missing out, because if they're enjoying it, I should enjoy it. Now, you should enjoy life, and you should be driven in life, but when we're afraid that we're going to miss out on what someone else has or does or experiences or enjoys, and then we give in to that, then maybe our hearts aren't right. You can call it peer pressure, you can call it social norms, you can call it cultural forces, but if our hearts aren't right and they're driven by envy, that's an unhealthy place to be. And you say to me, I'm not envious. Like I wouldn't use the word envy to describe myself, but maybe it's good to step back and ask yourself some questions. Like what is it that drives and motivates you? Where does social media fit in? When you spend time on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or wherever it might be, and you're scrolling through and you see other people's lives, is there something inside of you that's driven because you see people doing things that you're not, people have things that you don't, and it causes you to be unsettled in your spirit because there's a comparison and a competition that comes in? Let's just just be honest. That's a part of the culture and the society that we live in, and I need to watch myself and go, am I being driven in a healthy way, or has this crossed over into some unhealthy envy in my life? What, what What are the things you're holding on to from the past? Like, are there things in the past where you go, hey, that's not fair, or that's not right, or this shouldn't be that way, and you're stuck in the past and wishing you were living someone else's present or future? Like that, that ultimately might be envy in your life. If, if you have the phrase, if only, that comes out in your mind and in your mouth a lot, if only I had, if only I could, if only I was, if only they did, then maybe you've gotten to an unhealthy place of not living the life that God has for you because you're so driven by what you see in other people's lives. Now look, I think there's a biblical mandate. In fact, we'll get to this in a couple of weeks as we, we dig further into this that we should want to be better. We should grow in our faith. We should grow in our wisdom. We should grow in our experience. We should never settle for status quo. We should become everything that God has for us. We should all be motivated to be better, but which better? Like when you say better, what's really going on in your mind? Do I want to be better than I am or better than you are? Like which better is it? What's my real motivation? Because if my motivation is just to be better than you are, then that's meaningless, the teacher tells us. Rebecca DeYoung wrote a book about the seven deadly sins, and when she got to talking about envy, she recounted a poem by Victor Hugo, and I won't read the, the poem, it's kind of long and convoluted, so, sorry English teachers, but, but um, in the poem, he personifies envy and greed. The two characters are envy and greed. They're sisters, if I remember right. And each of them, envy and greed, are granted the opportunity to wish and receive whatever they want. If they ask for a lot of money, they'll receive a lot of money. Here's the twist. Whatever you ask for, the other person gets double. So if you ask for a lot of money, you can have it, but the other person gets twice as much. So in the end, as the poem winds down, what envy wishes for is to be blind in one eye. cruel, isn't it? It's mean-spirited. But envy would take on hurt for itself in order to cause blindness to someone else. Here's what DeYoung said about this poem, that the envious person resents another person's good gifts because they are superior to his or her own. It's not just that the other person is better. It is that by comparison, their superiority makes you feel your own lack, your own inferiority more acutely. So dragging other people down and taking from them what they have can make us feel better about ourselves. And envy for many of us can become a motivator in our lives. And the reality is, if you stop and think about this, in the end, it's meaningless. Envy is a meaningless motivator 
That's what we saw in, in verse four here. But if you dig deeper into the overall picture of scripture, what you also find out is that envy has cruel consequences. Envy has cruel consequences. Let me share a few of them with you. It's interesting, the parallels in the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs, the wisdom literature in the Old Testament with the book of James in the New Testament. If you've never read the book of James in the New Testament and you're like looking for where, where should I be reading in the Bible, man, pick up the book of James because it's, it's filled with wisdom. Here's what James says about envy. James chapter three, verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Are those loaded words? <laughs> For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Man, that, that, that passage is strong. And it says that envy breeds evil and confusion. Envy breeds evil and confusion in our lives. When you are focused on what you don't have, maybe that someone else does, it can lead you to be in a place where there's disorder and confusion. There's this unrest that's in your life. Your priorities begin to be driven by external things instead of your internal life. It creates this confusion. And I love the language there where he says, if you harbor bitter envy, it has this idea that it's like tucked away there. It's kind of nestled there inside of you, your thoughts about other people. And if they're left there too long, they turn bitter. Have you ever left something in your refrigerator too long? You ever found something in the back? And you're like, oh, I wondered where that Tupperware was. Right? And then you open it, and you realize you've been running a lab. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's nasty. Why? Because you took something that really wasn't bad to begin with. It was maybe even good to begin with. But you've let that thing be tucked away in there for so long that it got to a point where it was bitter and it was nasty. And we have to be careful in our lives not to do that, not to take those thoughts and kind of, we, we love to have them kind of nestle down inside of us. And James uses another word. He not only says that they are something that brings disorder and confusion, he says that they are evil. He actually says that when envy gets a foothold in our lives, it is demonic. If you wonder where the source of envy is, it's not from God, it's from the devil. And that envy can actually be a conduit for evil in your life. And then, that's the end of chapter three, when he gets to chapter four, he takes it a step forward. Look at this, James chapter four, verse one. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Not, not only does it bring evil and disorder, but then envy leads to conflict in our lives. And it's interesting. He starts out that, saying that this envy that leads to conflict starts with conflict between me and another person, but it eventually leads to conflict between me and God because God's not able to, to pour out his blessings in my life because envy has changed my motives in a way that it blocks God's good things from coming into my life. Like th This is a big deal if we let envy go unchecked, so much so that Solomon writes this in Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. He uses some real visual language here, doesn't he? Like, I want my heart to be at peace, but envy rots the bones. Instead of finding peace when you are constantly dissatisfied, when you're wishing for someone else's life or possessions or marriage or family or job, when you, when you consistently say, if only my life was like so-and-so's, or if I could be like this or that, eventually envy erodes your peace. It takes peace right out of your life. And at some point, you have to come to terms with this, because if you stay in this place, it will make you miserable. I remember about 10 years ago, I found myself in a place where I was consistently thinking about how I wished my life was like somebody else's. Not necessarily one particular somebody. It was just kind of like, I wish, I wish my life was different. Have you ever been there? Let's be honest, you ever been there? 
right? And I remember being in that season. I remember one day I pulled up at the church and I was sitting in the parking lot and I was just kind of having this thought. Man, I just wish that. And I felt like, have you ever felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of took his hand and just cuffed you on the back of the neck? You ever had that happen? And I kind of got this, hey, Chad, instead of sitting around and wishing your life was like something else, why don't you make your life like something else? Instead of just sitting here and, and saying, boy, I wish it looked like this, or I wish I had that, or I wish I could, why don't you go to steps to make it like that? Why don't you become the person that you want to be? Instead of sitting back and letting that disorder and that evil and that confusion and that conflict and letting that, that erosion of peace in your life, why don't you move forward in some way and do something about this? If, if you've ever been in this place, you know that unchecked envy, sometimes it's deliberate, sometimes it's unintentional, but that unchecked envy will make you miserable in your life. And what the teacher says to us here is he says, hey, if you're driven, if your motivation is envy, wake up because it's meaningless and it's destructive and it's gonna make you miserable which takes us to the second thing. Here's, here's the second thing that he points out to us in these three verses that can make you miserable. Number two, let's just call it apathy. Number two is apathy. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse five. The teacher writes, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Isn't that an interesting little phrase? Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Go ahead, everybody fold your hands right now. Bunch of fools. <laughs> I was with you, I was with you, it's all right. What does he mean, fold their hands? You see this a couple times in scripture, this language of fold their hands. It has the idea not of rest, you know, because we might be prone to think, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rest and fold my hands, or I'm gonna pray and fold my hands. When that was used, that was a Hebrew idiom for the idea of resignation, inaction, laziness, that if your hands are folded, they're not active. Not in a good way, but in a negative way. It's apathy. There's a couple of things that we learn in this verse. First, apathy is foolish. <laughs> when you fold your hands, that's a foolish thing to do. One of the things that fools do is, is go to a place of inaction. They're, they're lazy. I think we do this in part because when we do this, sometimes we don't know what needs to be done or we're unsure how to respond or we're not sure how to do them. But when we fold our hands instead of being active, when we choose apathy instead of activity, we find ourselves in a place that has very real consequences. Look at this. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18. Through laziness... The rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. Isn't that interesting? It's not that you don't know that the house is leaking. It's not that you can't look up and see that the rafters are sagging. But at some point, you just choose not to do anything about it. You, you choose to be inactive, and it leads to a house that's in a decrepit place. A couple weeks ago, I read this passage from Proverbs 24. You may remember I told the story about how my college roommate used to quote this over me when I hit the snooze on my alarm clock too many times. He used to say, I went past the field of a sluggard. It's not that funny. Still hurts a little bit. Past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, help me here, a little <laughs> folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. It's a powerful truth there. And in those times when we choose inactivity over the known activity that we should be taking part in, it literally brings destruction, it brings um, erosion to our lives, and it makes us foolish. James, if you go back to the book of James, he, he actually is a little more clear and forceful. He says this, James chapter four, verse 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. He doesn't say you're just a fool. He says you're sinning when you know what you're supposed to do and instead you fold your hands. So, so what does this mean? Like, What are the things that maybe are in front of you where you need to put your house in order? Maybe it is physical repairs. Maybe it's dealing with debt. 
Maybe it's mending a relationship or pursuing some personal goal. But it's easier so many times for us just to fold our hands instead of making ourselves active in what God would have for us to do. But let's take this one more step further because not only is folding our hands foolish, what this passage also tells us is that apathy is self-destructive. Apathy, apathy is not, apathy, that's not even a word. Apathy is not only foolish, apathy is self-destructive. Now typically on Sundays, we read from what's called the New International Version of the Scriptures. So the Scriptures, like what we're reading here, was originally written in Hebrew, and then it has to be translated into English for us to understand it. So we usually use the NIV. And one of the things about the NIV is in the places where it might be a little confusing for us to read the literal Hebrew, they kind of try to give you the idea of it. There's other versions, uh, sometimes the King James, New American Standard in particular, the, the really good one is what's, what I, I, would call, uh, I, I like, it's called the English Standard Version, the ESV, English Standard Version. It's a little more literal. So it takes the Hebrew words, and even though sometimes it's difficult for us to understand it, you get, you get a more literal translation. So let me read to you the English Standard Version of verse five of Ecclesiastes chapter four. It says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Yuck. Like that's gross, isn't it? So it says in the NIV that, that, that he just kind of destroys himself. But the ESV and the actual Hebrew puts this out in a, in a frame of self-cannibalism. That when you choose to fold your hands in apathy, laziness, inactivity, you are literally setting yourself up for self-destruction. That's interesting for us to think about. I destroy myself when I fold my hands. I'm literally, when I choose apathy or inactivity, I literally am destroying myself when I fold my hands. Think about that. How do, how do we use our hands? We so often use our hands in ways that move forward our relationships. If I meet you for the very first time, I'm gonna stick my hand out and I'm going to try to what? <laughs> Help me out here. <laughs> Shake your hand, right? If we're friends, probably when we see each other, I'm gonna come up and I'm gonna give you a high five. At this point, you know, with, with germs starting to come around and this kind of thing, so a lot of times instead of a high five or a handshake, I might want to give you a, a fist bump, right? So go ahead, turn to the person next to you right now, give them a fist bump, go ahead, do it. All right, now turn to the person you didn't like as much and give them a fist bump. All right, go ahead. It's all good. It's all good. Right? When Rhonda and I were in high school and we started dating, you know, we were hanging out a little bit. We met at church and talking on the phone and stuff. But then, like, at some point, I needed to know, like, do I have a chance here? So every so often, I'd kind of strategically, you know, just... Kind of have my hand bump hers. You know what I'm talking about? Just kind of touch hands a little bit. Because at some point, I knew I was in if we would what? Hold hands. Because there's something about communicating relationship that we do with our hands. But if your hands are folded, you've hindered all of that. You've kept yourself from being welcoming, from friendship, even from relationship because you've closed yourself off in inactivity. Think of how else we use our hands. We use our hands to do things, don't we? I mean, it's almost every activity, if you're gonna fix something, if you're gonna make something, if you're gonna create something, where does it start? It starts with your, help me, <laughs> start with your hands. I mean, think about even this in a whole different way. We not only use them to do things, but we use them to communicate with other people, don't we? I mean, in, in so many different ways, I use my voice less now, and if I'm gonna communicate with you, I probably use my hands. Most of the time, I'm just going to shoot you something that I just texted with my <laughs> thumbs, right? So even my communication with others is stopped when I choose inactivity over activity because I choose to fold my hands. Take this even one more step further. We not only use our hands to do things, but understand this. If I'm going to give to you, I'm usually in this posture somehow. And even more, if I'm going to receive in some way, I'm in this posture, right? But if I'm doing this instead of this, at some point now, I can't give. I can't be the conduit that God would have for me. I'm, I'm closed off from God's purpose in my life, nor can I receive his blessings in my life because instead of being in this place to receive from him, I'm in this place because I've chosen to fold my hands. Can you see why that's foolish and self-destructive? Like So how we live, how we think about this is really significant. 
Look, I, I see the consequences all the time in people's lives because someone in their home or in their family chose to fold their hands and cut off communication or cut off activity or in many ways push them out. In many ways, they, they failed to either give or receive in their lives and there's consequences and there's damage and dysfunction that's done because someone in a home chose to fold their hands instead of being active. I see it happen in churches all the time. When churches get comfortable, they wanna play it safe, and instead of being in a place where they can give and receive in their community and offer things that could bring life change, instead they say, well maybe for a little while we'll just sit here and fold our hands. It's foolish and it's destructive. And you think about that even from the vision that God has for your life. Like the things that God wants to do in and through your life. Look, so many times in your lives, if, if you're feeling empty, if you're feeling drained, if you're feeling like you can't receive from God, maybe the reason you can't receive from God is because you've had your hands back like this. Here's the crazy thing that I've seen, and a friend reminded me of this right after the, the, the last service very wisely. He said to me, look, my experience in life has been this, that when I open up my hands to give, that's when I'm in a place that from God I can receive. Does that make sense? So there's something foolish and destructive and it can have eternal ramifications. You realize that when you choose inactivity, that can affect your soul, and ultimately it can affect the souls of people that God would have you minister to, or even people in your orbit, in your sphere of influence, in your home, on the job, in your school, that God wants you to touch. Folding of your hands is foolish and self-destructive. I tell you this because sometimes it's easier to fold our hands because then we can be oblivious, can't we? Aren't there times where you just want to be oblivious? Help me out here. Aren't there times? Look at this picture. These are two fishermen who are in uh, Alaska, and they are out fishing. Picturesque, beautiful spot. See the two fishermen? Follow up the hill. What do you see? Do you see the bear? The, the guy that was the wildlife photographer that caught this, he was out photographing wildlife, sees these two guys, sees the bear. He took the picture. If you listen to the interview with him, he took his time taking the picture. He wanted to make sure he got the picture just the right way. Here's what he said. He's like, I've been out here enough. I've seen enough of this stuff. I knew that that bear did not pose a threat to those guys. The bear was more interested in getting a salmon out of the river than he was eating those guys. For the record, if you see me on the banks of the Maumee and there is a fierce animal behind me, do not take a picture. Do not fold your hands. You call out to me because there is something destructive behind me that inactivity is not what I want in that moment. Can I get an amen? Are we clear on this? I'll do it for you. You do it for me. Right? And yet, how many times? This is our response. We just fold our hands when there are people who might even be in, in some way in their life in harm's way. And God would have us not to just sit there, but to do something. And the reality is we talk about this because for too many of us, this has become a posture of rest for us, a posture of comfort for us. And what does this scripture say for you? It says that when you fold your hands, you are foolish and self-destructive. Now, let me, let me take this one other step because I think this is really important. Here's the other thing that I see, though. Some of you are like, oh, Chad, don't you worry. I am not folding my hands. I am reaching out. There are big things in life for me. There are big things ahead for me. There are things out there, and I am reaching for those things. Can you see the stretch in me? I'm not folding my hands. I am reaching. Here's the interesting thing that I see sometimes. When people are waiting for the big thing or they're reaching for the big things, oftentimes when they're reaching for the big things, they reach right over the important things. The right here in front of you is your family. Right over here in front of you is your faithfulness. Right over here in front of you is your relationship with God. And sometimes in your zeal for God, you reach right past the very things that God has given to you because you're reaching for something big and you're forgetting what's important. Look, there's a balance that's here. My encouragement to you, unfold your hands and embrace what is in front of you. You don't have to reach past that. What I've found is when I fill my hands with the things that God has put in front of me, that's when he can entrust me with more. Amen? Which takes us to the third thing. The third thing that can make you miserable 
What do we talk about? Envy and apathy. Here's the third one. Number three is more. Sometimes more can make you miserable. Here's what he said, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse six. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Let's talk first about what this is not. This is not a call to apathy or inaction, right? We've already talked about that. In fact, We'll hit this in a few weeks, but if you just fast forward a few chapters, the teacher's gonna give some clarification to this. I love this verse, and he uses hand here again. Look at this, Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. He has the gift of encouragement, does he not? In the dead where you're going. But there's truth there, right? That right now, while you have the energy, whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might. See, there's not a problem with wanting more out of life. There's not a problem with being more than what you already are. We talked about this with envy, right? It's good to say, God, I want to be better, but watch this. When the quest for more comes at the expense of peace, there's something out of balance in your life. When the quest for more comes at the expense of peace, there's something out of balance in your life. Look, more is not bad, but if you've traded more for peace, then maybe it's time to do some evaluation. For some of you, your life has gotten to the place because of more that it's frantic, that it's hectic, that there's chaos. Makes me think of this guy named Scott Russo who lives in California. Behind Scott's house is this wide open kind of public green space. And one of the things that they'll do in this part of the country at times is instead of having like landscaping crews come in and mow the grass and stuff, they literally have, have, have uh, livestock that comes in and will eat the grass. So there's a flock of sheep that from time to time will be driven into Scott's backyard and they eat all the grass that's in the public space behind him. So one night, his kids wanted to see the sheep. And he said, well, that's cool. It'd be kind of neat. So he went and he opened the back gate of his fence so that his kids could see the sheep. And if you t turn your attention to the screens, you'll see a video of what happens next to poor Scott. Because as this is happening, this is Scott's backyard. And now he's got to drive all these sheep out of here. Now, you can find this video on YouTube if you look. We have the sound off because this is church. What you notice, though, is instead of driving them out, there's more coming in. Like, so there's more and more. Eventually, like, if you, we won't watch the whole video, but his wife gets on the trampoline, and there's all this yelling, and they're trying to figure it out, and he's trying to, like, get, you know, try to get these sheep out of there and do all this kind of thing, and it's craziness, and it's hectic. Some of you are having a panic attack just watching this. Others of you go, that's nothing. You should see Tuesday at my house. Right, you know chaos. We can, we can turn that off. It's making me nervous now. Um, and I'm a shepherd. And so, I just thought of that. That was funny. That's, uh, but right, for some of you, you're like, okay, I can relate. Like I open the door and there's more in my life and there's more activity and there's more craziness and sometimes we are in seasons of more. For some of you in your family, it seems like there's one more practice and one more game and one more recital and one more lesson and one more homework and one more test and one more, like there's those things in that season. For some of you in the job and it comes in different rhythms, but there's times when it's just crazy and it's frantic and that's all good. Like those things come and they happen and we live in those different seasons and those different flows, but we have to remember that if we've traded out our peace in the place so we can have more Maybe something's out of line in our lives. Look, this is what Solomon says. The teacher tells us that less may be more. He's not saying that more is bad. He's just saying sometimes more is not better. Sometimes less may be more. He says one handful, if you have tranquility and peace, is better than two handfuls if what you have is toil and anxiety. In fact, he said it this way in Proverbs 15 and 16. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. He did not say a fattened calf is bad. I actually prefer a fattened calf with my vegetables. Anybody else? Like, I get an amen for that, right? 
He's not saying a fattened calf is bad, but what he's saying is if your fattened calf comes with hatred, then you're better off to just have the vegetables. Like if your more means that it's pushed out peace, then you might want to push out the more until you can get the peace back into your life. Sometimes less may be more. Can I tell you this? Peace is better than position. Sometimes we're, we're focused on who I can be and what I can have and what can be accomplished to the point that I strive for position and I push out peace in my life. And we do it on the jobs and we do it in school and we do it in our relationships. And can I tell you this too? This is, this is not a criticism. This is an observation. I think a lot of times we do it to our kids. right? We want to push our kids to accomplish and achieve in a certain way. And we should, parents, grandparents, you should be your child's greatest cheerleader. But if that force into position somehow pushes peace out of your life or God is a priority in your home, maybe something needs to be reevaluated. Does that make sense? We all still friends? And can I tell you this? Peace is better than possessions. Peace is better than possessions. Like we, we won't take time to read all through Ecclesiastes chapter five. The, the whole last part of it really focuses on this. I encourage you to read it for yourself. Here's what he says though in verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Is, is there a problem with having possessions? Not if God's entrusted them to you. Not if God's blessed those to you. Not if God's trusted you with that to be a conduit and to be used for him. Here's the problem. When your possessions possess you, that's the problem. Make sure that the things you have don't have you. Make sure that the things you have don't have you. And know this. Some of you are like, but I, I want to add that peace to my life. I want to add quality to my life. Then know this. The best way to add may be to subtract. Sometimes the best way to add peace, sometimes the best way to add quality is to say, what do I need to pull back from? Where do I need to find? And what did he say? If two handfuls are not as good because of the toil that comes with them, maybe the one handful is better with tranquility, with, with rest, with quiet, with peace. For some of you, there may be some places where in the craziness and the hecticness of what your life is right now, that you need to stop long enough to say, God, I need some peace in my life. What happens when you do that? Isaiah chapter 26, verse three. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. When we prayed at the beginning of this message today about those that feel burdened or despair, maybe that's because of all the hecticness that's in your life right now. Maybe no fault of your own. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying it may be that in this season, you need to step back and slow down enough to say, God, I need in my life your perfect peace. There's an old story. You've, you've probably heard it somewhere along the lines. I've heard it countless times. I've heard it told a bunch of different ways. I, I couldn't find the source, and, and I'm not even sure how much truth there is to it, but it's a great parable of when some European explorers first came to Africa. They were trying to get supplies from one part of Africa to another and they felt the urgency in that moment. They didn't know the terrain very well and they didn't know how to move things long distances. So they hired some African guides to go with them. And on day one, they pushed. They had a place to go. This journey was gonna take them the better part of a week and so they knew they didn't have much time. So they just wanted to go. So they pushed and they pushed and they pushed on day one. They pushed and they pushed and they pushed on day two. And at the end of day two, when they were sitting around the campfire, they said, we're really not happy with our progress. We need to push harder. So on day three, they pushed even harder. They moved even faster till at the end of day three then, they got twice as far as they had on day two. And they sat around the campfire on day three that evening and they were very pleased with themselves because of how far they had gotten. And on day four, when they got up to leave, the African guides, the, the locals, the nationals were sitting around the fire and the European explorers said, come on guys, let's go, it's time to move. And the African guides said, oh, we're not, we're not going anywhere today. And they were like, yes, we are. We, we've got miles to go. We've got a mission to accomplish. We need to press forward and move on. And they're like, well, we're sorry, we're not going anywhere today. And they're like, what do you mean? Why, why aren't you gonna move today? And they said, well, sirs, yesterday we moved so fast and so far that today we have to stop just to let our souls catch up. Sometimes 
you have to slow down enough just to let your soul catch up. You ever been there? And today may be that day for you. Here's what Paul said. Philippians chapter four, verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, that's Jesus, who gives me strength. So can I ask you to stand with me, whether in this room or auditorium too? Patrick's gonna come back and lead us in that song we sang just a few moments ago at the mention of your name. And as we sing this, will you take a moment to let your soul catch up? Will you take a moment to say, God, I'm, I'm content with what you've given to me. And would you take a moment to say, God, I open up my hands, not only to receive, but also to give as you would have me to. And would you take a moment to say, God, I need your peace in my life, even in the midst of my more and my craziness. And as we sing this song, would you allow God to minister and speak to your soul, bring life into you today? Father, in these next few moments, as we worship you, Jesus, at the mention of your name, would you breathe life into us? Would you encourage the one who is in despair and, and heaviness today? God, would you let us know your presence in this room? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this together. At the mention of your name, every chain will break. I know everything will change. Jesus, just a whisper of your name will silence wind and waves at the mention of your name. At the mention of your name, every chain will break. Just a whisper of your name will silence wind and waves at the mention of your name. You are my strength, you are my anchor, and you never fail. You are my hope, you will and close your eyes for just a moment. My fear is that you'd hear the, the truth that we looked at from God's word today and then you just walk out and get right back to, to that low-level discomfort. Get right back to that miserable. And we've already seen how destructive miserable can be. And so for some of us, like in this moment, we need to actually do a little business with God before we walk away from this. And say, God, I, I, I don't want to be motivated by envy anymore. Lord, help me to be content 
Help me to be driven by being the person you've called me to be and not by anybody else. And for some of you, you've got to say, God, my hands aren't folded anymore. They're open in front of you. Lord, would you give through me and would you pour out your blessing to me as I open my hands to you? And for some of you, today's the day to take a deep breath and say, Lord, in the midst of the season of life that I'm in, would you, would you speak peace into my life? Would you breathe tranquility into my home? Lord, I want to be faithful with all that you've entrusted to me. But I need your peace. I need your strength today. If you just need to say, God, thanks, I needed this today, and I'm going to move forward in how your spirit's leading me in this moment. If that's just you, would you just raise a hand just between you and God, but just say, yeah, God, thanks, I needed this. I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to do something with this. One other question just before I close this out in prayer. Like, there's a, there's a real good chance that whether you're sitting in this room or you're, you're hearing this message in some other way, that you would say, I, I know today that I need something, but I don't know where to find that. We just read where Paul said that it's through Christ who gives me strength. And the reason is because when Jesus came and lived his life on this earth, he did it without sin. And then when he died on the cross, he paid the the price for your sins and my sins so that we could have forgiveness. That's why we call him our savior. It's because of his death that we can have forgiveness and that we can be saved. And maybe today you need that forgiveness. We also believe that on the third day after he was crucified that Jesus rose again and that he lives today. And because he's alive, I can live. I have purpose, I have meaning, I have direction in my life. And that's why I call him my risen Lord because he is alive and he's the one who gives purpose to my life. And if you'd say today, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need Jesus as my savior and as my Lord. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Just raise your hand right where you are. If you just say, Jesus, I need to give my life to you. I can't do this on my own anymore. Raise your hand, put it right back down just between you and God. I can't do this on my own anymore. Jesus, I need you. Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray for the one who needs your peace. Would you pour that out in their lives? And Father, I pray for the one who says today, God, I give you my life as my Savior and as my Lord. Would you help them to find, even in this moment, a new life from you in ways that go above and beyond what they could ask or imagine? Lord, would you bring your forgiveness and your grace to them in this moment? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look, if you raised your hand um, to ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, would you grab one of these cards on your way out? It just says, I have decided. Take that to our Connection Center in the atrium. We'd love the opportunity to meet you and have a Bible we want to give to you. We want to say thanks to you and pray with you. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.